Boyle Sports proudly sponsors the Greenwood and Mulliner Show. Join today and get £20 in free bets at boylesports.com. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Episode number 71. Woo! It is with the Northern Football Writer for the Daily and Sunday Telegraph. Is it fair to say the controversial Luke Edwards, Sam Mulliner? Maybe. Um, I, I don't think he is controversial. I, I think he's just Marmite. I think you either like you love him or you hate him. Well, I'd I, I like him. I don't love him. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's certainly got his uh, critics because, you know, he doesn't tell you what you always want to hear and share some views that some may find a bit controversial or against the grain, but... I don't really think he's controversial. It's a fascinating one because obviously he has this relationship with Newcastle United fans, mainly on Twitter, which is a very, very touchy uh, yeah, social that, media profile. It's more it? to do with Twitter, isn't it, really? But he's not afraid to say it as it is. And I think Newcastle fans love it or hate it, appreciate it, because as a journalist, that's part of your job is to try and fight all the facts and he was very consistent, especially with the takeover. Don't think yep. he got many things wrong on that. Nope. 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 He was pretty much spot on throughout up until the S hit the F on takeover week, really. Um, and it did come out of nowhere. And we we all got taken by surprise. Um, yeah, I, I, I've always kind of admired Luke from afar, but without ever really wanting to kind of get involved in any sort of Twitter dispute or spat or anything like that because I've got better things to do. Um, but I think this is sort of the right time to get someone like him on when things have maybe quietened down a touch. Obviously, there's still absolutely loads going on and it's a really important time, but the kind of um, furore of the takeover is now behind us and over and done with and so I think this is a good time to get him on Yeah, there's some interesting topics that we talked about, obviously Steve Bruce Eddie Howe, very similar to Keith Downey but it was nice to get a different insight in terms of you know, I think a very complete, Steve Bruce. complete 180 to Keith Downey I know what you mean in saying it's, it's similar to Keith Downey in like in certain aspects but I disagree because I think it's complete 180 degree turn from from Keith Downey um, with with like as you say, um, Luke's relationship with Steve Bruce, um, yeah, I I think it's completely a different perspective, a different angle. Very much so, very very much so. The sporting director question gets asked again. Let's see, and we got a completely different answer, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, got a different answer. We got a very different answer. So listen to that when uh, when it comes uh, comes around on your podcast, but. I thought he was very, very good. I really did. I think he's very—he's a very positive uh, football fan who appreciates the North East. He's a late Orient fan, but he, he expects Newcastle to get six points from the two games that are, you've already known what's happened. You already know that Newcastle yeah, are playing Norwich and Burnley. So you know before us that Newcastle have got either zero, one, two, three, four or six points. It is huge. A huge week for Newcastle, but... Oh. Can't get fired. He's, he's exactly can't get fired. We expect me to say something like that. 
Uh, expecting no, hoping absolutely. <laughs> I think that just sums up the Green and Roller show, isn't it? You mm. might expect to see some names, you hope to see some names, and you get some of those names. Oh, so the next episode to this, I really want it to be a certain someone, and we're quite close, but it depends on results elsewhere. I really, really hope it is, but we don't know yet. Again, so you'll know in the future, but yeah. Hey, who knows what could happen in the future? Anything could happen. Newcastle might win the Champions League in a couple of years. Nah. My championship. <laughs> championship. Oh, maybe, 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 maybe. Right. Well, I really, more... you know what? I really, really hope we don't go down because no. I love the championship when we're not in it because <laughs> it's a brilliant league and it's so tough to get out of, get out of the, the right way. It's a fantastic league, but I do not want to be any part of it whatsoever. I just don't. I can't do it again. I just can't. Are you, are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me, Samuel, that you do not want to go to Oakwell on a Wednesday night in the Championship? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> want to go to. I don't want to go to Oakwell anyway. At any time. I mean, I've seen Oakwell from afar when I, when I go um, to watch the darts because it's it's the the Metrodome is um, where they have the floor tournaments. Overlooks Oakwell. So, yeah, I, I admire Oakwell from afar, but um, I don't want to go there. No. Stand up if you love the darts. But I'll stand up a little bit, but um, it'll keep me out of the shot for the members' video anyway. Um, mm. Yeah, I think we, we need to stop waffling on, and I think we need to listen to Luke Edwards talk at all things Newcastle United. And give us your response, let us know what you make of it um, on the podcast. Again, great five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. We've got some big plans for 2022 which isn't a million miles away. Do we? Well, we say that every year. We're going to talk about it first. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get Kel Mulliner in. I think that could be an interesting uh, podcast. Nope. (laughs) Why would you want to speak to my wife for an hour? I don't remember. Me and my my wife don't even get the chance to speak to each other for an hour. (laughs) Passing ships in the night we are at the moment, but there you go. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, let's get this show on the road. It's episode number 71 of the Greenwood and Mulliner Show, and it is with Luke Edwards. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) does, don't worry. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Moment Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today we are joined by the Northern Football Writer for the Daily and Sunday Telegraph. It is of course Luke Edwards. Luke, good morning, welcome to the show. Good morning, nice to be here, nice to meet you both. It's the first time we've met, so um, I hope you're going to be gentle. Um, I hope the comment section isn't too abusive, but uh, not that it will particularly bother me if it is. But um, uh, yeah, let's fire away, I'm looking forward to it. I'll filter some of it out, don't worry. I'll no, do don't worry. I, I, it, it's, it doesn't have any impact on me whatsoever. I, 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 the people who send it uh, are the ones of the issue, not me. No, they're a good bunch on, the, on Newcastle fans TV. I won't good. worry about that. Good. <laughs> Let's go straight into it, Luke. Um, how did you get involved in writing about Newcastle United for people that don't know? That don't know? Um, well, I, I'd always wanted to be a... I was football obsessed when I was younger, Um sort of geek levels really um and I played football and about 15 16 I think I realized that I wasn't ever going to play football and I, there was a there was a moment um at a late orient game when I would have been about 8 or 9 
when I was really starting to get into it, and there was a there was a bit at the back of the press uh, to the stand we stand behind the goal, which is the left hand side in the main stand. There was a bit at the back that had some lights on, and I remember saying to my mum or my dad, "But you know what? What's up there? Um, what are those seats?" And they said, "Oh, well, that's where the, the football journalists sit." And I sort of said, "Well, what does a football journalist do?" And they were like, "Well, they write about football." And um, a, a light bulb went on, really. And I think from then on, I was very, very lucky that I sort of. I was either going to be an actor or I was going to be a journalist um, until I was went to university, really. Um, and then I decided that I would go down the journalism route and work for the student newspaper. And I came to Newcastle to university, um, which was one of the best decisions I ever made because it, it was a fantastic three years that I had there. Um, and I was just very lucky. I managed to turn my hobby into a job, really, because I, I was so football obsessed. And the idea that I could turn my hobby into a job... Um, was you know brilliant um and i've managed to do it and i'm very very fortunate uh, i've done it so yeah it was basically i i, I came out of that I, I was going to be a journalist and then i i went to newcastle university and in those days the student newspaper at newcastle university used to effectively act as like a feeder school to the chronicle and the journal um so i went i was offered a, a scholarship when i left university to go and work for the journal um and I you know I hadn't necessarily was going to stay in Newcastle then because all my friends had left and um but yeah I, I went to Australia for for nine months came back um and then yeah started the journal and then I was on the journal for 18 months doing news and then a job on sport came up um and then I was offered a job on the mirror um down in London which is what I'd always really wanted to do my family were all still down in London and when I was in my 20s I was kind of I was in London all the time and I that was kind of where I thought I would go. Um, but I just met a, 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 a woman, um, a girl, uh, about four months earlier, um, who's now my wife. So I turned down the job on the mirror to stay in Newcastle for her, really. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's how it happened. And, and then I've never left. And my mum and dad have moved up to the northeast now. Um, we've, I mean, I do a lot of stuff in Manchester, um, you know, before the lockdown before COVID hit, I was spending half my life in Manchester really, but we all always stay up in the Northeast and the Northeast is our home and very much can't imagine living anywhere else to be honest with you now. Um, I've got two kids um, who are both Geordies and born and raised up here. Um, so they, you know, the family home is, is in the Northeast, but that's how it happened. It, I, I would say it was planned. Um, it was planned to the extent that I wanted to write about football but, and I didn't know that would happen at Newcastle, if I'm honest, in sort of 2000, 2001. Um, it just did. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful it has. So I love the city. Um, I love I love the people. And I'm not just talking about Newcastle there. I'm talking about Sunderland. I'm talking about, even, you know, even going down to Middlesbrough. I just love the northeast of England and the, the attitude, the approach to life, um, the way people don't take themselves too seriously, work hard, play hard, all those things. So, yes, yeah, so I've just been very, very lucky. And I, I do have to remind myself of that sometimes because um, when I do talk to universities and colleges, I, I always put a bit of a down on it and say, you know, I turned my hobby into a job, but I lost my hobby, um, which is true. I don't, I don't watch a lot of football for pleasure anymore. I don't get to see Leighton Orient play very often. I've seen them once this season live. Um, but no, I'm very lucky and I, and I love my job and e even the stuff that comes with it. I'm sure you're asking me about that, but even the abuse and social media and the, all that sort of stuff, it I, it doesn't bother me. And I know I'm, I'm very, very lucky and I feel like I'm very lucky to, to live in the northeast of England as well. 
I mean, that that's an interesting point you make because what I was going to ask is from if you obviously being from down south, moving up to the northeast, staying in the northeast. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've all seen the the clip that's gone viral of the cretinous Gabby Ogbonlahor <laughs> this week. Um, what did you make of that? And as someone who, I mean, I'm in the Midlands, like Gabby Ogbonlahor is, and I, I just saw that and like, Jesus Christ, mate, have you seen where we're from? Bizarre. But what, yeah. what would you say to Gabby? You're an idiot. Don't don't talk about things that you don't understand. Um, I, I've always been very very defensive of of Newcastle in particular. Um, and I've been very fortunate enough. I mean, I lived in Sheffield. Um, we left London when I was, uh, well, actually, we left London when I was about 14. We lived in Ipswich for two years and then Sheffield for two years. Um, so I, I, Newcastle for me, I've been coming here since I was a child as well. My mum's my best friend used to live up here. So th- there's always been that connection. Um, I used to say, and we're going back, like I don't know, 15, 20 years now, I always used to say that people from the South, couldn't understand not not the accent there is that as well but um they couldn't understand why people from the north east are so proud about where they were from and i think it scares people i think it actually un- unsettles people that geordies and and, and and people from sunderland as well but we're talking even if you go out to northumberland and durham they're very very proud of where they come from i'm very happy about where they live and there's because there's that strong regional identity and I, I have talked about this a little bit before but i'm i'm current i'm a history student so i'm actually reading a lot about um vikings at the moment and the um and the, and the invasions of, of britain and the fact that northumberland is, is basically norse i think that that regional identity unsettles people it makes that they don't really care what you think and i know we've all reacted on social media to it but that's more of a social media thing but my argument would have been 15 years ago Geordies don't care if you appreciate where they're from because they like where they're from. Now, I wouldn't have stayed in Newcastle um, if it hadn't been a great city. Um, and for me, I, I know Manchester really well. I know Liverpool really well. I know Sheffield really well. I know I know all the northern cities. And for me, um, it is the best. And I, I might be biased. And I have this argument with my friends who live in Manchester all the time. Manchester is bigger. It's got more there. It's got more people, it's got more infrastructure, it's got massive airport, all those things. Okay, so you can say that makes it a better city, but in terms of somewhere to live and have a night out, Newcastle's better. Now, when I was in my 20s and I was at Shindig every every weekend, I'm sure some of your older um, your older uh, uh, viewers will, will remember that, um, you know, and I used to go out all the time when I was a student. Newcastle was a great city for me because it was a party city. That's why I came to university here in the late 90s. That was what Newcastle was known for, and it was why it attracted so many students. But now I'm a lot older. It's not, you know, the nights out that I enjoy. It's it's all the other things. It's living seven miles from the beach where I live. It's, you know, it's Whitley Bay. It's Tynemouth. It's going up into Northumberland. It's going down to Durham the other day like I did. And it's all the other things you can do. It's got everything you could possibly want in a city, and it's less crowded, less expensive, and it doesn't take itself nearly as seriously as a place like Manchester, but also Liverpool, Leeds, Sheffield's a bit different, but it, it, it people up here don't they don't take themselves seriously. They're just very quietly content and pleased with the life they have and the city they live in. And there's a reason why now, on most of all the, the ridiculous polls they do on these companies about where's the happiest place to live or which is the best city to live or which is the best city to go for on a weekend break, Newcastle is at the near the top of literally all of them now. 
because let's give some the, the city council some credit and, and and the other local bodies up here there is a lot wrong with the northeast and poverty is a problem and the, the disparity between wealth between the south and the northeast and that is used to hit newcastle with but if you actually live here you, and you know you have a job and you work hard and you you have some money in your pocket. It goes further up here than it any would. And I I don't. It has something unique as a city, geographically, but I also think socially as well. And I I, I love it. And I, I I can I can talk about why I love Newcastle forever and ever and ever. And I can try and explain. I'm not probably not doing that good a job of explaining why I like it so much. But I think people are actually jealous. And I think to go back to my original point, I think it unsettles people that. There's this northeast of England, which is supposed to be the poor part of the country and the poverty and the poor relations to everything. They're more Scottish than all the things that I used to hear down south. And the accent's weird and we can't understand a word they say. And they've got a crap football team and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. And then they don't really understand what makes this area special. And I just think they're a bit jealous. I think I, I, I honestly do think they're a bit jealous. And I think it's the fact that people are so proud of this region. I'm not just saying Newcastle in that, but of this region, it unsettles people. So they have to come up with a reason to sort of attack them and knock them down and, and poke fun at them. It's been going on the whole time I've lived up here, and I don't think it ever stopped. But really, I don't think anyone up here should care. And I don't think really they do care. No, definitely not. And I think they'll happily take that extra 10 grand a week uh, to live up in the northeast and uh, take 10 grand less to go down to London anyway. But moving on to Newcastle United right now. Mm. The last eight weeks have been an absolute whirlwind, Luke. October the 7th is a day I think a lot of Newcastle fans will remember for a very, very long time. But October the 6th was a massive day as well because that's when it almost exploded in terms of basically Newcastle were going to be taken over by a very, very rich consortium or three consortiums altogether. When did you first hear wind of this, Luke? And when you were told that certain things had changed, did you expect the takeover to go as no. quickly as it did? I think if anyone who'd, who'd, who'd followed what I'd written and what I'd said on Twitter, I didn't think there was a hope in hell this takeover was going to go through um, for the simple reason, and I was very, very consistent in it, was that you couldn't watch Premier League football legally in Saudi Arabia. Um, there, there was the huge piracy, the huge piracy issues going on, um, and it just hadn't gone anywhere for 18 months. So I got a call... Um, I was having lunch with my parents, so it would have been about mid. It would have been about half twelve on the six. It would have been, and I got a call from someone who had been absolutely bang on the money on this takeover all the way through, and you know had been more 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 cynical than I was about it, but had been a really really good source of information. Obviously, I can't tell you who that was, but um, I got a call. It's a text actually, and I, and I said, "Give me a call urgently." Um, I think the takeover is happening and I'd missed it for about 20 minutes um, and then I saw it and I think my main course just come because I was out for lunch with my mum and dad in Whitley Bay and I was just like oh, fuck me I was like what and my mum's just like what was wrong and I was just like it's work mum but I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go um so I went outside and I, I was like furiously typing I spoke to them and they went look I think it's happening and they gave me a very very brief explanation um and I think we were we were actually first to have that it was happening. There was a lot of people saying it it might be happening, um, but we were the first to have. Well, it's only because of this contact that I had, who was so good and had been so so kind of in the middle of it all and been absolutely spot on. That I said to my desk, I said, "Look, it's happening." If if he's saying it's happening and he's been absolutely one hundred percent right throughout this process, then we need to do it. So I think I went from so if you'd asked me at midday, 
I'd have been absolutely no chance. I think within two hours of that first text, I was like, right, it's happening. And it was just mental. I mean, it was, it's kind of why you get into the job. So it's, it's kind of really exciting. And there's, there's a huge release of adrenaline. And I realized we had a story that other people didn't have. So that was really great. Um, and so you, you've got that competitiveness there. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a space of within about two hours and then it just didn't stop. I mean, it was just the next few days were incredible. Um, yeah, but no, it, was, it, it would have been then. It was literally on that day. And anyone who tells you differently, by the way, any journalist, anyone in the media who tries to say that they knew before then, they didn't. They didn't because the, the consortium didn't even know. I think they first got an inkling of it on the the Monday that it might be happening. So when they, if they didn't know, there's no one out there in the media who knew either. I, I have heard a couple of people try and claim that they knew earlier than that. But honestly, nobody did. And that was why we had a bit of a... That's why it's been a little bit chaotic at the start because the the consortium didn't know it was happening either. So it, it, they they were sort of caught on the hop a little bit as well. But yeah, no, it was it was probably in the space of about two hours. And the eighteen months previous to that, I've just been like, nah, there's no chance, no chance it's happening. I was a bit like you, Luke, in the fact that um, I'd I'd kind of given up all hope. I thought it was done, finished, and I was just trying to think of and, and focus on what was going on the pitch to to the point where I was so thick. That I even saw the the piracy resolution on on Twitter, and I just went, "Oh, good for them," and carried mm. on scrolling. <laughs> um, Richard Masters has come out this morning in a piece with Dan Rowan. Um, it's Panto season, so he's probably starring as Pinocchio soon. Yeah, um, and said it was completely irrelevant. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, I suppose where he'll get away with it is. Was that relevant to the Premier League signing it off in his head or in a strictly legal sense? No. But would the Premier League have ever sold a football club to a country where you couldn't watch the Premier League legally and which would have led to the huge objection of their main media partners in that region, uh, which was worth something like £500 million a year, if they'd have tried to sign that off and BIN hadn't? have been satisfied and been paid $1 billion in compensation, then I don't think there's any chance that. And I think you're living in cloud cuckoo land, even if you think that. So I suspect in a legally speak, he can sit there and say, oh, it had nothing to do with it. We just got the legally binding assurances. But in that same interview, you soon realise that the legally binding assurances are, well, I don't even know what, he, he basically admitted there are none. Um, which I thought was hilarious. So, look, I can't call Richard Masters a liar. I'm sure he's not a liar. I'm sure in the way the Premier League conducts their business that they suddenly got this, oh, it's not the Saudi Arabian state buying the football club. But, I mean, it still is. Um, but, yeah, well, it's fine. We've, we've got legally buying insurance that it won't be. How can you enforce that? Mm, we can't. Um, piracy? No, nothing to do with it. No, but I, I just... Uh, yeah, it was. It, it's too. If you if you believe in coincidences, like a, a five hundred million pound contract and a billion pounds in compensation being awarded to um, the the wronged party in that dispute, and then the takeover happening within twenty four hours are unrelated, then that's absolutely fine as well. Uh, I'm just going to um, say I don't believe that, and I think the two were in, intrinsically linked. Get the lottery, get the lottery numbers on the names. Eh? Get the lottery yeah. numbers on the names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really want to speak about Mike Ashley too much, but I think I need to ask one quick question. Mm. 
What is, briefly, what is his lasting legacy of Newcastle United? Well, there isn't really one, is there? Um, his legacy was he he um, he took a football club that for the last 15 years had been progressive, ambitious, um, hadn't always got it right. In fact, it got a lot wrong. Um, you know, it, it, it was in decline before he took it over. I think we have to remember that it went into decline when Graham Souness replaced Bobby Robson. And yes, the financial picture wasn't great before Mike Ashley took over, but it had been a club that tried to be better. It was a club that at least wanted to be what we all think it should be, which is one of the biggest top six clubs in the country, uh, competing in Europe every season. And he took all that away. Um, I have, still have absolutely no idea why he bought it, but we have to remember and always be mindful of the fact that as awful as he was as for the football club, it did wonderful things for his business. So, you know, nobody knew who Mike Ashley was until he bought Newcastle. Uh, he then bought up in the time he was Newcastle United owner. He bought up half the high, high street sports direct, become one of the most successful retail businesses in the country, expanding all over Europe and the world and all that sort of stuff. So he did a lot of good for him. His lasting legacy was I just it, it was a lost decade, really. Um, and it was pretty miserable. And even the good times under Hewton, the one season under Pardew, um, the years under Rafa, even those times were scarred by political issues, about arguments, disputes, and he was just never far away from ruining everything. Um, so even when he got something right, it, it didn't take him long to to, to ruin it again. I, I it, it just infuriated me, and it, and it actually became a really miserable, it became a miserable football club, really under under Mike Ashley and. Yeah, um, I think that was very, very sad. So I will put it, call it the lost decade, really, um, when it, Newcastle just wasn't what it should be as a football club. I mean, his, his final managerial appointment was, of course, Steve Bruce. Um, do you think he should have quit at the end of last season? Yeah, I've like been he pretty, said he was gonna? I've been pretty clear on that, and I've said it to him. I, I, I shouted at him at the end of last season. I don't know when it was May May time, um, and I just I, I knew I knew what was coming. Um, I could. I think he knew what was coming, um, and I said, unless unless they improve that squad, unless they give you new players, you're going to get it because the, we all, the squad is what the squad. The squad has been that squad for four years. The core of that squad was exactly the same and had exactly the same problems. And I think he should have gone. I think if he'd have gone at the end of last season, there'd have been a lot more goodwill towards him um, if it had just walked away and just said, "I've had enough." I think for two years. And I, I will argue about this until I'm blue in the face. And I think, you know, we can disagree. But for two years, I think it did about just as good a job as anyone could do at Newcastle with Mike Ashley as owner and with that group of players. If that is why Rafa Benitez quit, because he could see that about as well as he could do was 10th and, and 13th in the, in the Premier League. Um, Steve Bruce did match that pretty much. You talk about investment levels. Yes, OK, but he didn't have anything to do with Joel Linton arriving in that first summer. Um, so I think he did just about as well as he could he could have done in those two years, but it just unravelled really, really quickly and it, and it was time for him to go. And I think if it had just gone at the end of... If it had gone in May, June, we would have been spared the rather ugly um, drawn-out 
messy departure, an acrimonious departure, really, that that, that followed um, this season. And it's sad, really, um, that it came to that. But he was stubborn. He's a football manager. They're all stubborn. They don't listen. He thought that, you know, he could get Willock in and bring in a couple of loans as well. He had loan deals set, set, um, lined up. You know, not just Chalabar, they could have got Harry Winks, they could have had uh, Gallagher who went to Crystal Palace. You know, they were all lined up by Bruce and Mike Ashley's Newcastle said, no, there's no money. So he was, you know, he was fighting a losing battle and he, he paid the price for that. But he chose to pay the price for that. You know, he got his compensation. Um, that wasn't why he stayed. I don't, I don't think that was why he stayed in May, certainly. But, um, you know, he he... he he made his bed, and and it, it became very uncomfortable for him towards the end. And but it was it was time for for everybody for for him him to go. But I, I wish he had gone a, a few months earlier. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And but what I would say to that is, if you're having thoughts of quitting in May, yeah, is your heart really fully a hundred percent in it? And did he leave the squad a little bit undercooked in pre season because they looked unfit? <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't answer that for you. I, I don't know. You know, we all sat there and praised Graham Jones and said how wonderful Graham Jones was as a coach a few months earlier. Well, Graham Jones is still all part of that. I don't think they were under. I don't think they were unfit. No. Um, uh, I think his heart wasn't it, and I think you know I can only go with what he said. Why he didn't go, and he said I can't leave because you know he just spent all summer persuading Joe Willock to come to Newcastle, and then if he'd have just quit. When the, because I mean, I, I think I think he probably thought about quitting when the transfer window shut as well. But I think he thought he had to stay. He actually felt in his in his my own mind, and fans can disagree with that as much as they want, and I'm sure they would. That he was, you know, no one would be better equipped to keep them up than he had been because he'd done it for the last two years. I don't understand the mentality of a, of a football manager. I, I can't ever tell you why he didn't go. Was his heart in it? You'd have to ask him. I, I, I think it was because he, you know, we we argued about him going. Um, and I said he should go, um, and, and you know he 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 argued that these are the reasons he was staying, and that was he thought he, he felt the club needed him to to, to stay up, um, and that nobody was going to get more out of them than he was. Now that's that's a football manager's mentality, I'm afraid. I, I can't win that argument. So was his heart in it? Yes, but I think I don't. You're talking to varying degrees, aren't you? Was his heart in it? If you're thinking about going, you're probably right. If you if you're considering leaving, is your heart the same as it was two years earlier when you'd first come in. I don't know, but no, I, undercooked. I, I don't know. I don't know that, that you know results results have worked good enough. Whether that's why he went, it wasn't anything to do with how hard they trained in pre-season. It's because they didn't win a bloody football match, and they still haven't won a football match. And they still haven't won a football match five games later. Yeah, yeah five we'll games talk, later. We'll, we'll talk about that football football match very very soon. But I want to talk about the new appointments in Eddie Howe. I think. There was speculation that even under the previous ownership, if they decided to push the panic button or they push the trigger in terms of letting Steve Bruce go, Eddie Howe was somewhat on the horizon. However, the Unai Emery debacle, I'm going to call it, wasn't mm. a great look on the new owners. Was mm-hmm. Emery the first choice all the way through? And what are your opinions of Eddie Howe's Newcastle United? Um, yeah, look... The uh, the new regime cocked things up with the new manager search quite badly. They cocked getting, you know, if I told you that they wanted Steve Bruce to stay on as Newcastle manager um, until they found his replacement, 
that was the conversation they had. Um, and I think it was actually Steve who said, if you do that, you're going to get battered. The team, there's going to be no uplift. The fans want me out. You know, I'm, I'm being booed now after the Tottenham game. I think everybody knew. But yeah, they'd actually asked him to stay on until they got a replacement lined up. And they actually said things like that. You know, we have no timescale for when, when that replacement will be brought in. Now, that's fine. And I may be a little bit sensible, and that that all stemmed from the fact that the Saudi Arabians, in particular, liked Bruce. Um, there are rumours that the Crown Prince may have had a certain affinity for a certain Premier League football club, which is another United. Um, and yeah, so I I, I, I think they belatedly realised that they had to get rid of Steve Bruce. Um, but I think this all stems from the fact they didn't know the takeover was going to happen. We talked about that a little bit earlier, but they had no idea this takeover was going to go through. And it all happened so quickly. Um, they didn't really have a plan. So it was very, very messy at the start and very, very chaotic. And I think what we've seen is as much as um, their hearts are in the right place, these the new regime, uh, and I think they want to do all the right things. And I think they're trying to do things properly. There is a complete lack of football expertise and knowledge within that consortium. And I think that has shown in in the weeks that have followed. And so, yes, the, the sacking of Bruce was messy, really drawn out, um, confused. Um, it ended up making him a victim, which then led to a lot of criticism nationally of the way he was being treated. Um, we then had the Emray. Now, the other way I understood it was it was very, very close. They did, they did an interview. Um, we had a lot of Fonseca. Do you remember? A lot of the Fonseca stuff was coming from Fonseca's people. But they had a very you know comprehensive and diligent interview process. Um, and the reason they went for Emre above Howe was that he was a star name. And they had people in and around it saying he's a younger version of Rafa Benitez. Now, Rafa Benitez was, would have been Newcastle manager if this takeover had happened at any point previously to him taking the Everton job. So I think they were kind of sold on that idea of it being a younger, more dynamic, more, you know, more the vanguard of football fashion than Rafa Benitez. So and the Saudis in particular liked Emre because he was a, he was a big name known in Europe. Nobody had heard of Eddie Howe outside of, outside of the Premier League, really. So they, there was this ridiculous thing where very naively, they mistook uh, Unai Emre saying he was interested in the job to him wanting the job. Now, the 24 hours in which reports appeared in certain newspapers who had been told by people involved in the consortium that Unai Emre was taking the job, on the day of Villarreal playing a vital Champions League game, it was school, you know, it's, it was schoolboy stuff. It was a car crash. It was embarrassing. And it it didn't paint any of them in a good light. And I was flabbergasted, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the stuff I was hearing was really, really bad. And it just seemed really amateurish uh, and chaotic. And nobody really seemed to understand how football worked. And I would have really gone for them, I think, on that day or the day after. But I had a con- I had a chat with, with one of the members of the consortium, a really long chat, and they, you know, and they apologised. And I thought, Do you know what? That takes something to apologise, to say sorry for that. And you're new to it. And again, I just thought your hearts are all in the right place. You do want to do this properly. And you do want to make a success of this. So look, give them a pass, let them off, um, put it down to a learning experience and move on. And, and I was actually, I'd, I'd said before, I wasn't comfortable with Emre, if I'm honest with you. I thought Emre was, I'd done a bit of Arsenal 
while when he'd been manager, not a lot, but it, when he'd been manager, I, I always remember the they lost the Europa League final, didn't they, out in Baku? And his communication skills weren't great. Um, English obviously wasn't his first language, and I, I no, no criticism there. I don't speak, I don't speak any Spanish, but there was something. It, it just and it went so badly wrong for him at Arsenal. When and I spoke to some of the guys who covered Arsenal, and they just said how bad it had been at the end and how fast it had unravelled. He had a massive ego, and you know he fell out with everybody. And I just thought, mm, not entirely sold on that. Good manager, great manager, but I wasn't sure he was right for Newcastle where they are now. And I'd actually always preferred Eddie Howe. Now it was always explained to me that Eddie Howe was was second choice, but it was close. I mean, it, it was it was it wasn't. Uh, I think five or six five people voted. I think, and I think it was three two to Emery. Um, so th- was that pretty close? And I and actually when when they when the Emery thing fell through, I, I was quietly pleased in a way because I just think Eddie Howe. I'd liked Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, um, and I think you sometimes see these managers who do a really good job at a small club. Um, which is what Bournemouth are. Well, I'm not not saying anything. I mean, I, I've met. He was he was manager when Leighton Orient were playing Bournemouth in 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 League Two. So, I, I, he was always talked about as being a really really good manager, and that that was for a reason. And he just needed a different club. He needed a bigger a bigger stage, um, and he needed a different sort of opportunity. So, I was quite quietly encouraged when he got the job, and, and everything since every dealing I've had with him, everything I've heard about him makes me feel really positive. Um, I, you, we, there's no way of knowing 100% whether it's going to work out or whether it's going to be a success but everything I hear is encouraging I really like him I think he's progressive I think he's diligent I think he knows English football I think he will be able to help them sign the players they need in January which they desperately need someone to do that because they haven't got the sporting director or the chief executive in Emre what would Emre know about the, the English transfer market in, in detail he wouldn't Eddie Howe does and I just think if anyone deserved the Newcastle job, uh, it's this stage of its revolution after the takeover. I think Eddie Howe ticks a lot of the boxes and I've been really, really encouraged by what I've heard about him. He just needs to win a football game and we could be having this conversation in six months' time and he could be fans could be calling for him to be sacked. That, that, that's the nature of the ticket. If results aren't, results aren't good enough, that will happen. But everything I've heard about him, everything I've seen of him, yeah, I'm encouraged. I think, I think, he's, a good, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a decent bloke. And I think he's a good manager. And I, I think I think we needed somebody who who could build the club up from where it is at the moment. And I don't think Emre was that person. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just to go back on your point there, I think you were perfectly right to to give the new owners a pass because, like you said yourself, they didn't know that, that the deal was back on until the Monday and then the Thursday they're the new owners of Newcastle United. So with the yeah. timing of the season as well, um, it's not like it, they had chance to kind of prepare for a new season and get everything into place before we'd already lost too many games to begin mm-hmm. with. But um, with Eddie Howe, with no sporting director and, and chief exec, as you say, has he got targets in mind? Is he looking within Premier League clubs who apparently aren't going to be willing to trade with Newcastle United, or are they looking in Europe? Um, uh, well, the, the short answer to that is, I mean, I have an idea of where they're looking at, and it's Premier League experience. They want they want players mm. who can come in and, and hit the ground running. But it, Eddie Howe is genuine when he says he doesn't want to talk about it. No, so he won't even talk about it, you know, off the record or. In in private, he he is trying desperately 
to play down what's going to happen in January. And he did it again yesterday, and it's in all the newspapers this morning. Um, and, you know, we, I believe we've got enough to stay up in this squad. And, well, he might do. He might do, but I don't think they have. And I don't think anyone thinks they have. So he, they are certainly they are certainly looking at targets. And, and the, the message has always been Premier League experienced players who can come straight in, hit the ground running. Um, it's just how much money they're willing to spend. And the first real test of this regime, forget the new manager stuff, because you're right, they, they deserve to pass over that. The first real test is... Are they going to be ready to go in January? Have they got targets lined up? Who, because we know what the Mike Ashley January transfer window looked like. It was come in in the last week, last yeah. twenty four hours, forty eight hours. It's not good enough. They've got. A, they've had a run now. They've had two or three months to line up what they're going to do in January, and they have to get this right. Because if they don't get this right, Newcastle are probably going to go down, and they are the people who are currently running the club are going to have to explain to Saudi Arabia. We got you relegated, sorry. And I think that's going to cause them huge problems. I think that will cause Eddie Howe huge problems. Um, and I think they just need they need to give him a better squad than he's got now with better players in defence, well, in, in basically in every single department, um, but certainly in defence and midfield. Steve Bruce had tried to change the centre-backs for the last two years and hadn't been able to because of money. Um, yeah, well, why did he sell Florian Lejeune? He's the best defender we had since Woodgate, man. Um, you'd have to ask him that. I, I think I'd love he, to. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I can't. Expl- I can't explain that. I think they needed to try and raise money from somewhere to do stuff. And they, you know, you have to remember this. Cl- cl- the, the players that we sit there and say have done a really good job for Newcastle for four years. They've all been available for transfer for two years. They haven't had a single bid. And not not like they've not not a single bid from another from another club Lejeune was the only one I think they had actually a bid for um and he went he was desperately trying to raise money and none of those players were wanted by anyone anyone and that is damning so you know when you got their agents leaking stories about stuff two years a lot of those players are up for sale no bids not from the championship not from the Premier League and that tells you where a lot of those players are and it tells you the ridiculous amount of money they are on, which was Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley handing out long contracts to the likes of Matt Ritchie, Dwight Gale, Isaac Hayden, Jamal Lascelles. I can go on. We all know who this core of players are. They can't get them out of the football club. Um, and part of that was to do with COVID and the fact that the transfer market in the championship was destroyed in this this, this summer. To the, like those, um, but they are though that most of this squad are a bottom six of the Premier League, top six of the Championship players in ability, in my opinion, and they couldn't get rid of any of them. So he he sold to the German. Go back to answer. He sold to the German. Probably it's the only one where they could raise a little bit of money. Mutu. Nobody wanted Mutu. They managed to get him off the books. They took a huge hit on him. Who signed him? Who was responsible for the Muto deal? 14 million quid. Wasn't it wasn't the 10, 11 million quid that was what was reported. 14 million pounds was spent on Mutu. Had to offload him. So, you know, they 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 eat, yeah. No, this isn't a defense of Steve Bruce, it's just a reality of where the squad is. That that's the problem. And that the reality of that is that that is the level of players that the wider football world thinks of Newcastle United's players. That that is where they are. And, and nobody wanted them in the summer. Nobody. Can I just fire a couple of names to you because there's a couple of comments there. Obviously, talking about particular positions. I've just seen that. Does Luke know you can get a heating allowance That's for old people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing a coat. It's a hoodie. 
Look. Look. <laughs> it is a bit chilly though. I haven't got the heating on. <laughs> um, I'm going to fire a couple of names to you if I can. Yeah. Trippier, James Tarkovsky. And a lot of people asking, are Newcastle after any central midfielders? I know you mentioned a few names about in the summer that Steve Bruce was looking at. But what do, what do you think from what you know? Um... Oh, I've said I've said this on Twitter. Whatever James Tarkovsky wants to come from Burnley to Newcastle, you give that to him first for second of January. There you go, bang, that's done. Brilliant. Well, for what Newcastle are, he's he's a brilliant defender. Brilliant. He improved them massively. Um, Trippy is an interesting one. He's desperate to come back to the UK. I don't know how much of that is agent agent push. Um, but again, I think he's, he's superior to every single fullback they've got instantly. Um, I think every single target they've been linked with in the main is better than what they've already got. Um, Harry Winks, uh, Ross Barkley. Um, I had heard Hudson Adoy um, earlier on. I think he's playing again for Chelsea now, though, isn't he? Yeah. So I, I don't think that'll be happening. Um, will they go in for... Uh, I mean, the, the list is is huge. But you got to, it's very, very difficult in my job to say which one of them are, are definite because so most transfer targets leak from agents, not from football clubs. And so the problem is you get the, every single agent will be pushing a, a list of players, but they need pace and power in midfield. I'll take Ross Barkley. I know he's had his issues. Um, I know he, f- he fizzled out at Aston Villa, but if you get six months out of Ross Barkley, the player who went to Chelsea and was playing for England not so long ago, that's that's the player box to box drive with from midfield um carry the ball with feet good passing range energy um that's everything what they that they need in midfield um i would get tarkovsky straight away um i, I mean I, i'd get jesse lingard those would be the three that i would i would go tarkovsky barkley lingard um i'll take harry winks as well um i really like harry winks as a Tottenham player and it's the players who really aren't getting a game at their clubs who are going to be realistically going to get if Newcastle go in for players who are playing like Tarkovsky that's harder because that is when the clubs will be reluctant to sell the football clubs of businesses at the end of the day if, if Ross Barkley is earning loads of money and he isn't getting a game at Chelsea then Chelsea are going to do business regardless of whether it's Newcastle or anybody else so but Tarkovsky is the, is the one I, I really really want um, six months left on his contract I think he wants the move. Um, it's just whether Burnley are going to honour the gentleman's agreement that they have for Tarkovsky that he can leave if a bid comes in. Because let's face it, gentleman's agreement, as Harry Kane learnt um, in the summer, mean absolutely nothing. And Burnley will certainly be reluctant to sell one of their best centre-backs to a relegation rival in Newcastle. I mean, I know it's the priority, but all the players we've been linked with are, are defenders and midfielders. But I just look, and I know it's it's changed a bit because um, we're obviously scoring goals. But if Callum Wilson, uh, yeah, yeah. Maximum get injured, we are yeah. stuffed, and we've no feasible backup, has there? I'm just a bit concerned that we've no real players that have been linked in that position. No, I, I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head if I if I can if I can think of a, of a centre forward they've been looking at. I, I mean, they do need another striker, absolutely, one hundred percent. Um, and they need backup for St Maximum, which I guess you would play Lingard, St Maximum and Wilson would probably work as a front front three. It just depends how much money they've got to spend. If you want to go and buy a centre-forward in January, who's good, mm. and he's going to score goals in the Premier League, you're probably talking 40 million quid. 40 million. You ain't going to get one. 
have they got are they going to spend 190 million this window no they're not going to spend that much so you know we've been told we've been briefed in the media it's a budget of around 50 million quid so that's not that's not going to be enough i don't think to get a center forward in there as well so you're going to be rolling the dice and trying to you'll probably keep dwight gale in that respect just in case wilson's injured um yeah just in case we go down and if they go down yeah yeah exactly um and there is that question mark now is are you building are you building in january and we're going to know that between the results probably this week and over december are you building a team to stay in the premier league or are you building a team to come back up in the championship next season and you know suddenly that squad that newcastle have doesn't look so bad if you're going down um you know hayden and shelby did very well in the in the in the championship together um sean longstaff will probably be decent in the championship matty longstaff will probably be decent in the championship um but yeah center forwards are very very tricky um to try and sign in january unless you're just going to say to somebody abroad or you know as one of the a top striker abroad who's got a release clause i can't see any of the english prem i can't see any of the premier league clubs letting their strikers go in in january who's going to be an upgrade on wilson it's just a shame we didn't keep the likes of Ivan Tony and uh, Adam Armstrong. That would have been all Who right. got rid of them? Whose fault was that? Kevin and Babu as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good old Rafa. Um, <laughs> Norwich tonight. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, Norwich tonight. Luke, for our, our listeners on the uh, audio podcast, apologies in advance, but this is a very, very important game. And let's just hope that we're all talking... Uh, correctly shall we say yeah. the Newcastle have got six points for the next two games but look this is the biggest game of the season yeah and looking at other teams I know Watford have got Chelsea and Manchester City at home if Newcastle can get six points they're literally a point off Watford and it kind of puts them back in contention a little bit with a tricky run in December well, a very tricky run in December yeah I would go can with you- yeah, sorry, sorry go no, I was going to say six points. Get six points I think they can get the six points um, I think they can. I'm going to be optimistic. I think St James's Park will be at its noisy, partisan, intimidating best today. I think, um, or this evening, I think it will be again in Burnley. It needs to be that between now and the end of the season. Every single game, no point getting on the backs of the players after 20 minutes. That's only gonna that's only gonna make things worse. So Newcastle fans are going to just have to embrace embrace the moment and do everything they can to help the team. I do think they uh, this squad is still, for all my criticism of it, it is capable of beating Norwich at home and Burnley at home. They have been close to winning games this season already. They should have beaten Watford. They were 30 seconds away from beating Southampton. Um, you know, they need... Uh, eventually that luck will change and those games that haven't quite gone your way they'll win it just needs to happen today and I think I will go as far as to say if they get six points in this week I think Newcastle will stay up if they don't get six points this week um, I will start to fear that they're going down it's far too early to say that still in December still in the December to, you know for Newcastle to win five out of the last eight last season nobody saw that coming um, but it did. So they wouldn't be down. But I just think for, the, for this takeover to really ignite and for the new era to really start showing that it's completely different to what has happened before. Because at the moment, nothing feels like it's changed, really. Um, not in terms of results. Well, in terms of results, it hasn't. 
Um, so yeah, we need need a win, and then if they get it's a big Norwich, I think the momentum will build, and then I think they'll beat Burnley, and then I think they might pick up a couple of surprise results in December as well. And I'll be very very confident if they go into January adrift, but a win, a couple of wins adrift, I still think they'll do it. I still think they'll do it. But if they go into January 10, 12, I'm afraid it's it's going to be all over right? uh, before in the second half of the season could be fairly fairly miserable. Yeah. It's hard to disagree just how, how massive this week is, but... I don't know. I kind of. We all knew that was the case, though, when the takeover did go through on takeover day. It was always a case of muddling through this season, and then we can mm-hmm. dream about signing, like Alexander Isaac. He's my number one choice for a striker. Is That's he? I, want. I, I think so. Yeah, or um, Osmien from Napoli, but he's just got injured, isn't he? But I'm, I'm getting way too ahead of myself. You get very excited here, yeah. You're getting very. Well, excited. no, I know, but it's it's, it's a welcome. Change of pace from you know the Hamza Chowdhury loan deal, which has been going on for two years. So yeah, it, it, it is what it is. But I mean, we asked you off air, um, so we'll ask you on air. Your your concrete prediction: Will Newcastle United be in the Premier League next season? Yes or no? Yes. Get it. I mean, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying yes whilst whilst in the back of my head screaming no. Um, but no, yeah, I think they will. Come on. Let's have some faith. Let's have some confidence. Let's 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 see Newcastle build some momentum up. And they need they but I cannot stress this enough. The fans cannot get frustrated. They cannot I mean, a match day, they cannot start getting irritable with the fans. They just got to be roaring to, from the first minute to last. And I think with that home advantage, sorry, my dog's just come in, which is why I'm turning around. Um then <laughs> he's just arrived. It's time for his morning walk. Um uh, yeah, so no, I think they will stay up. But they've got to win. They've got to win. They've got to win at least one of these. If if you ask me, and they've not won either of these two games, I think they're going down. A couple of quick comments um, in saying any latest on the sporting director Chase Luke Michael No, any no. I think, that, I think that's all gone a little bit quiet. Um, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Eminar. I would expect it to be Eminarlo, um, but uh, I think they're doing a thorough process uh, again. Um, yeah, there are a few causes for concern, um, but yeah, no, it will, um, I think I think it will be Eminalo. Interesting. Keith Downey said otherwise last week. Did he? Yeah. What is he? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> but we'll it, to me, it, it, it's nice as as because you are like out of all the the northeast press pack who we've yeah. had pretty much we've had ninety nine percent of them on this show. You are the most cynical, which is why I kind of admire you from afar. Don't get involved yeah. in the Twitter spats, but no, no, I don't. I don't. From a journalist, I don't want to be just told what I want to hear. But it, then again, it is still nice to say that you think we are going to stay up this season. It fills me with confidence. Up until oh, do, you know, do you know why? Do you know why I think that? Because for four years, I think I've probably thought all oh, that could go down here. Oof, oh, do you remember no wins in ten at the start three years ago? That yeah. awful run last season. If you'd have asked me after Brighton when I had bloody COVID and I was completely off the map, I would have said they're doomed. They're being League yeah. One within two years. So you've just caught me at a good moment. That's all it is. <laughs> right. What's anyway, is that like... me done? So this dog, this dog is pestering me. Yeah. So... We'll, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the last question. I'll ask the last yeah. question. Yeah. What's been your highlights in terms of being a journalist covering Newcastle United? 
Oh, Bobby Robson. So, Bob, yeah, that that first, which came right at the start, funny enough. Um, uh, yeah, those those years, that that first Robson, the the, the yeah, the first sort of two or three years. Um, yeah, that was probably the highlight. I mean, there was what there was the run. There was the Champions League season. Um, uh, Feyenoord. I wasn't at Feyenoord, but I was doing the job then. Um, there was the the run to the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup the following year. Um, PSV Gary Speed's header. Um, yes, please. Yeah, they were. They, they, those were. You know, I thought it was going to be like that all the, all the time. You know, when I think at that point, early early two thousands, Newcastle were. Um, they you know they were one of the big. They were certainly one of the big six um, clubs in the country. We now seem to think the big six you know include completely different clubs. But Man City weren't there in two thousand and one, you no know, two thousand two, two thousand three. So yeah, that would have been the highlight. And Bobby, Bobby was a was a hero of mine growing up. Um, you know, eighty six World Cup, nineteen ninety. I'd lived in Ipswich for two years, so I knew I'd actually done my first bit of work experience on the local paper in Ipswich. So the links with Bobby were huge, and 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 to work. To get to know him professionally, and then and then a little bit socially, by the end as a young journalist was um, incredible, absolutely remarkable, um, and um, I will treasure those memories forever. I think that's a perfect way to end things. Yeah, Luke, it's been nice. an absolute pleasure having well, you on. Nice to you. No, it's been brilliant. Some really good insight into everything that's going on in Newcastle United. Sam, where can everybody listen to this podcast? Every podcast app, the links in the description, and it's the perfect podcast to walk your dog to. Lovely. <laughs> For myself, I'm Luke Edwards. We'll see you all very soon. Yeah, take care. Newcastle Fans TV.